Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Welcome to Brand Story, Inc., where today we sit down virtually with Darren Ravel, the senior executive producer of the Action Network. The Action Network is a sports betting product and media company that brings unique lens to the world of sports, mixing premium content, proprietary tools, and in-depth analytics to make sports fans with something at stake smarter about betting. It was founded in 2017 by the Churning Group, which rolled up three separate companies at the time, a bet tracking company and score apps company called Sports Action, a high-end betting terminal for professional bettors called Sports Insights, and the third company, Fantasy Labs, a daily fantasy modeling platform which offered both free services and subscription-based tools to their loyal users and has served as the base on which the Action Network was built. Darren joined the Action Network in 2018, right before its launch, after pioneering the sports business reporting beat to some extent at ESPN, where he had two separate six-year stints, one from 2000 to 2006, then again from 2012 to 2018, Sandwiched around a six-year stint at CNBC as their sports business reporter. If you're not a sport, if you're a sports fan and on Twitter, you know Darren Ravel. He's got two million plus followers and has a feed that personifies niche content. Our conversation was a fun one. I've known Darren for a decade or so through our mutual love of Northwestern athletics. But on this episode, we covered off on a myriad of topics that are relevant to brand marketing executives, media publishers, and content agencies alike. We covered off on the state of sports gambling through the lens of content creation, how brands should consider integrating into this type of content, and the original content creation machine and media partnerships forged by sports gambling companies that are now almost all content players, as well as Darren's Twitter feed. We didn't just talk about his 2 million followers and how he got there, but how the dots connect between his personal content creation and the Action Network, plus tips for social media influencers and a wild case study that I truly believe is part of the future of sports betting content. Plus, we pulled back the curtain on some of Darren's quirky collections, including his famous check collection and how he's created seven figures of value by cultivating the stories behind these checks. That's in the last 10 minutes of the episode, if you want to jump ahead there. So let's jump in for one of the more wild rides on Brand Story, Inc. And if you're not already following Darren Ravel on Twitter, I advise you to do so. He's at Darren Ravel. Two R's in the Darren, two L's in Ravel. Enjoy the episode. And welcome to the show, Darren. What's up, Jay? So excited to have you here, man. Well, in the introduction, I shared the backstory of how the Churning Group rolled up three separate businesses to launch the Action Network and how you joined just before its launch. Uh, I just, I'm just i so excited to talk to you today about the big picture of sports gambling through kind of the media company and content lens because I think that's what makes the Action Network so new, so unique. And uh, from what I understand, you, you know, I, I like to look at the Action Network a little bit like Switzerland. I mean, you've got partnerships with like 10-plus Gambling companies, including William Hill, DraftKings, and PointsBet, uh, explain what the Action Network is and how you guys make money. Well, it's essentially uh, Bloomberg for sports betting. Um, the idea, just like being at CNBC or watching CNBC, which I was at CNBC for six years, uh, is to not just go to the stock market and say, I'm going to take some shots. It's to be as educated as possible. So the three companies that are rolled up together 
represent uh, something for the consumer that if you don't want to just take a shot, if you want to know in aggregate uh, what is the percentage on a certain game of where the money is, um, aside from the analysis, uh, we're not touts, aside from the analysis, it's all numbers. So yeah. and at the at the high end, so so you you subscribe to us and uh, you get access to everything. And at the very high end, you get access to tools that essentially is akin to a quant on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So if you want to say what is the, uh, I believe I'm going to test a theory. I believe that when the wind blows 20 miles per hour in Big Ten games, the under hits more often than not. We have 20 years of data that will tell you. In Big Ten games, when the wind blows 20 miles per hour, what percentage of the time the under is hit? And then you press return, and it will say how many games this week are is the under uh, or is the wind blowing 25 25 miles per hour, and it will tell you. Wow! And eventually, maybe maybe next year, you can you can auto bet it. You know, where Mm -hmm. essentially you can just play your numbers. So we just make better smarter. We, may, we, we allow you to feel – we don't tell you where you're, you definitely need to go, but we tell you what the information is to allow you to make your best decision every day. Yeah, I mean it's, it's interesting because um, prior to the Action Network – and, and I, I don't personally gamble, but as you know, like we're both big diehard college Northwestern football fans always looking at point spreads. Just the act of curating and assimilating information into an easy-to-digest place was like such a smart – um, starting point, right? Like you, you have these relationships with all these different companies that are all trying to carve out their own niche. And, and to, to, I love that Bloomberg, um, you know, the Bloomberg analogy. Well, listen, we've established your creds already from ESPN and CNBC days, as well as your, uh, your well-known Twitter following of 2 million plus. It's at Darren Ravel, uh, although most of you are probably already following him. Uh, and that's two R's and two L's, two R's and Darren, two L's and Ravel. Uh, I'd like you to explain what your day job as senior executive producer for the Action Network encompasses. A lot of it is, uh, you know, what should I be doing every day to augment, you know, the Action Network's profile. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's all over the place. Uh, So it's covering the market as it gets big, right? Mm -hmm. As, As more states, it's doing some of the dirty work on reporting when New Jersey hits almost a billion dollars in, in uh, online or in betting handle in December. Mm-hmm. So it's doing that. That's kind of like the dirty work. It's, it's helping with activations, whether it's something like Fade Ravel, you know, where mm-hmm. essentially you're going up against me and, and, and we, uh, you know, we get people to bet at points bet uh, and at the same time get them the, the, the hits and the views that they want in a piece of content to dream up those type of things. Um, and then, and then recently it's been, well, everything counts as betting now it's crypto, it's NFTs, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's memorabilia. Yep. And, and for, and for, for me to shift my day, uh, more to those, uh, non-traditional type bets. Um, so it's, it's just, it's just taking, taking shots and being where people expect us to be and being where we should be. Well, you're, you're a one-man content machine, right? Anyone that follows your Twitter account just completely understands what I'm talking about. That in terms of industry news, you, the things you just talked about, right? From the from the collect from the collectibles market to what's going on in the industry to specific things that at the Action Network. I'm curious from a company perspective, 
how it's set up in terms of um, the content creation function in particular at the Action Network. So share the top line of your staff, um, the type of content that others are creating on your team and how you guys look at and measure success. So uh, Chad Millman's the head of content. He was the editor-in-chief at ESPN. So, you know, he was the one who he came over. He took the big risk even before betting was legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always he's always been a, a betting guy and has loved the content. And so he had the real vision. I came over in November of 18, five months after it was legalized. Uh, so Chad, Chad is the marching orders. Uh, this, our CEO, Patrick Keene, is a partner at Stripe. So mm-hmm. he's... He has the VC. He's the guy who understands where we need to be from an investment standpoint. Ch- then Chad does is the editorial mind. Um, we have guys, uh, a guy named Brian Mears, who controls kind of like our affiliate, like you know ha- how you know some of our money comes in from affiliate deals. Uh, we have uh, S- Scott Miller. We have some people who are obviously the head of product. How to get uh, this guy named Brian Mead. All these guys are are getting the, so are, we have a bet tracker. So the bet tracker is something that, you know, everyone's using. And so we need to be great on product. Then yep. we have, then we need to be on every single game, like every single big game. So we have guys writing reports on every single big game, which is a combination between freelancers and, and, and people who are on staff. Uh, and then we have we have podcasts. Um, Chad does a podcast with a guy named Simon Hunter, who we just hired. We have professional bettors who are doing this, but they have to understand that they are not picking games. Mm-hmm. They are they are they are slanting their where they think their game where they think uh, uh, the outcome should be based on data, mm-hmm. and 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 they have to make their case on data. So we have. Everyday coverage, we have, uh, you know, long-term type of stuff where we have reference charts of of where things are in your state if you click on embedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have just, you know, daily, daily, con- daily content every day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're pumping out a ridiculous amount of content. Um, because because there's so many people gambling, obviously. Right. I mean, we're, to that point, I mean, let's go big picture. We're still in the early innings of sports betting, becoming even legalized on a state-by-state basis. And, and media par- partnerships, as you well know, have been popping up in the past few years. Our audience may be less familiar with that, right? I mean, you've got Penn and Barstool Sports, Points Bet and NBC, Sinclair and Valleys. These marriages are happening. And it's very clear that we are, uh, while it's still early innings here, um, live sports consumption as relates to gambling is is changing rapidly. I'm curious to get your take on what you see, how that's gonna change in 2021 and just in the next couple of years, what's, as, as these companies integrate, um, what's the sports consumption experience gonna be like for fans? So, um, you know, it's interesting. I thought by now we would have Apple or Amazon owning a main uh, NFL product, right? So, like, Amazon is, is you know, would be Thursday night football, but I thought we would have uh, you know, one-click betting. So, essentially, in the same screen, you would watch the game yep. and you'd be able to click. We don't have that, but we're going to get close. Um, and we're going to get, you know, I think this year is going to be the first year where it's not going to be acceptable that announcers kind of, have these veiled references of gambling we are we are now maybe college takes a little bit longer but i think in every pro major sport uh there is going to be an acknowledgement of the gambling crowd Mm -hmm. by the main broadcasters Mm -hmm. 
It's not going to be, you know, on a, an ancillary feed. I think on the main feed, you will have a, a, a overt acknowledgement. And that comes with the fact that, you know, we're, we're at 21 states that have legalized game, sports gambling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, while population-wise, we're not at the majority of the country because California and Texas are not there, you know, I, I, I think now is the time. Um, and so we'll, we'll see that. You're, you're, you're going to see a lot more on-screen stuff. I think the uh, the aversion or the the want to to keep things quote unquote pure mm-hmm. is out the window. Mm-hmm. NBC does a humongous deal with points bet. They got you know they they, they have to uh, appease. Uh, you can't just do a little gambling deal. It's mm-hmm. got if it's a big deal, um, and that's going to manifest itself on on the broadcast. So you're going to see a lot more again overt call-outs to what the gamblers are thinking in the moment so let's pivot there for a second what advice would you have for brands and marketers and sponsors looking to authentically insert themselves into the mix of this yeah i mean you know i think partnering with guys like us um you know on contests on you know in the beginning it was free to play but you know on contests on editorial getting into the gambling space in a smart way Mm-hmm. Um, I think the key is like anything, um, you, you have to add value. Um, people can sniff a deal just to like get your toe in the water and, and something that's not genuine. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that mm-hmm. the best thing to do is provide some sort of added value, give a, give a big prize, right? Like, I mean, free to play. If, if, if you, if you say that there's a, a, a bunch of people, um, you know, in, in the world and in, in the United States that can't gamble legally, you know, free to play. If you give an amazing prize, I don't, I'm actually surprised. I don't think enough brands have done that right. Where, where everyone in every state can play on something related to some sport. And there's the most ridiculous prize ever. That's how you, that's how you kind of, uh, you know, associate in a smart way with, with, with sports gambling. And I'm, I'm actually surprised with how few brands have gotten into it. Yeah. It's interesting. I I am too. I mean, on the other hand, there's been such consolidation in sports media, right? ESPN, NBC, all these guys have made huge cuts. And the, the one place that's growing is the content sector within sports gambling, right? Our buddy, right. take for example, our buddy Teddy Greenstein at PointsBet, one example, you know, 25-year lifer at the Tribune. He's now, you know, a, a senior exec in the editorial piece there. What from each of these sports gambling companies have either are becoming in the process of becoming content companies like the action network right uh, and, and like true original content creation to your point to, to try to either add value court customers lead generation etc or leverage partnerships with other media companies what are you seeing from the sector from a content filter that's impressing you well i think everyone's trying right like you know DraftKings hires their own people fanduel's hired some people points bet as you said hired mm-hmm. teddy um, Paige Cernak. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think everyone's trying to be their own content. The question is, you know, their own content producer. I think the question is how good is that content? Right. Um, and, and, and how does it, how does it butt heads with their business objectives? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, Teddy, Teddy can't be completely objective anymore because, you know, he has, he has to talk to what the goals are of, of points bet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so I think that I don't think that there's any great sports book right now that is doing tremendous content. I will say 
the best thing that sports books are doing right now is giving me data. So mm-hmm. sports books in the last year, as someone who's responsible for outputting data, this percentage is betting on this. This is the big bet of the day. This is a sports books have realized that that's their key to advertising, that getting a great bet out there or getting the percentages or any uh, even a dumb bet. You know, that that that's what they've done the best at. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very impressed with BetMGM and what they've done to ramp up their their back end data and share it. Um, to me, that that's the best content going. Yeah, that, and, uh, that, that human interest story of like, look at this knucklehead who put twenty thousand on this on this crazy bet, yeah. right? Like, yeah. It's- and at some point, I was scared because at some point, a couple of the companies pulled back uh, when someone didn't want to give permission, mm-hmm. and and I and there was a, uh, with one sports book. I'm not going to mention their name. There was a big face off with me because I said. Okay, well, you're just not going to, you know, you're, you're not going to be relevant, you know, and they they then realized that they needed to encourage people to put, you know, put their bets out because um, it was important to them as a marketing tool. Well, I, uh, you and I have gone the longest we've ever talked without really digging in on Northwestern. So I'm going to break that streak uh, because I think you're perhaps the one fan who's more overzealous than I am. I'll, I'll, yep. I'll see that to you. Uh, but you made, I've been using your example of content creation as a, in a lot of business conversations I'm having. And so you made national news for a bet you made on our beloved Wildcats this past year, and then turned it into a content opportunity that I just thought was, was brilliant and kind of almost a, 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 here's where the, here's where sports gambling content is going. So I'd love for you to share the story. So uh, every year I uh, like to bet uh, on Northwestern. Um, usually I bet on them to win the national championship. Uh, but, uh, but this year, uh, was a little bit different. I noticed that they, because they were, uh, what, three and nine the year before. Um, I, I just, I kind of, um, I, I kind of saw an opportunity, uh, for Northwestern to win the big 10. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, at whatever it was, 200 to one or something crazy when, the, when their odds to win the national championship were like 400 to one, it just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, I bet at points bet, I put down, you know, 1500 bucks and, uh, and I, I, uh, here we were and Northwestern gets to the, uh, big 10 title game. Um, so at that point, I was like, I'm, I'm already partners with PointsBet. Why don't we have me live sweat? And By the way, tell them how much is at stake. If Northwestern wins this game, your $1,500 bet is worth? $238,000. $238,000 on the line. Okay. So my wife my wife is like, you know... <laughs> My, my 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 wife is uh, is is absolutely freaking out because the original offer I get is around twenty two thousand. Okay. Uh, it goes up to I think twenty five before the game because Ohio State was missing right. uh, one of their wide receivers and yeah. there was a COVID issue. Uh, and I don't like, going in. I don't know how this is going to play out. We we set all these rules about you know. Uh, cashing out and like 
ideally it would be i mean my my action network people are like well ideally you'd string it along a little bit for content i'm like it's my money it's not yours <laughs> like it, we, we, it was definitely a little fight like we want to at least get like we don't want this to it. be three minutes i'm like well how much are you fronting me and <laughs> And I did not hedge at all, and Action Network gave me no money, and PointsBet gave me no money. So, like, I'm doing this because I think it's going to be a great content experiment. I think it'll be legendary if mm -hmm. if something pulls off. And we just did it like a deal or no deal. So Teddy was giving me deals throughout, and really the game played out in, in, in perfect style. Yeah, let me um, set this up, though. Let me set this up for people real okay. quick. So um, PointsBet has Teddy Greenstein hosting and, and Darren's on and you're watching Darren Ravel live watching the Northwestern game, getting different bets throughout the game to cash out. And you're right. literally seeing him. And if you, if you've ever seen him take, take the nuttiest fan in your group watching a game and now multiply that times 50 and that's Darren. So, I mean, just incredible drama. So go ahead. I just want to paint the picture. Yeah. So we don't have any rights. So the, 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 mm -hmm. The, the volume is off and you're just kind of watching second screen. Ultimately we had 435,000 viewers, um, oh Lord, which is, it. which is obviously, you know, my, my, my memorabilia shows, this is only on Twitter. My memorabilia shows do about 150,000. So this was our most watched and I am getting texted by over a hundred people. <laughs> so we, at, at, at some point, uh, so there's only one time in my life where I've had something that has been watched more than the actual TV event itself, and that was when I sang One Shining Moment yes. in, two, in 2019, uh, and my, more people watched me singing One Shining Moment than the actual One Shining Moment. Oh, my Lord. Um, so, but, but, so the, uh, the momentum is there. Northwestern gets out to a 10-6 a lead uh, at the half, and they have offered me $71,000. My wife is What's your wife screaming. doing? She said, take She's it, like, take it. She goes, you are such an idiot. I'm like, well, and, and I'm having Action Network people call in. Uh, my mom called in. Um, I have Action Network people calling in saying, okay, well, Northwestern gets the ball. So so you're, you're playing with free money. Mm -hmm. And uh, Northwestern comes down the field. Uh, and we are about to score a touchdown. I mean, I can't even imagine if Peyton Ramsey, the Northwestern quarterback, does not throw an interception oh, in God. the end zone. Yeah. And we're up seventeen six. I yeah. mean, I would have been, I would have been above a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, and and I really would have been challenged because you know that that would have been anyway. He throws an interception, and the offer goes down to fifty three thousand, and I am like absolutely gutted. Yep. Um, and, uh, and so, um, I make a decision at that point that, uh, I'm going to pray that there's an Ohio state mistake and then I'm probably going to cash out. And this is where being an ultra fan comes in. I don't know if I ever told you this. Did I tell you why I cashed out? No, never okay. told me. All right. So Justin Fields comes down, he throws an interception, Northwestern gets the ball back. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking and thinking and thinking they're offering me $68,000. I have my Twitter feed open, and it says uh, Northwestern's Greg Newsom is out for the second half. Mm. And as an ultra fan, I know we have a guy named Cam Mitchell, um, but I, I we don't really go too deep 
you know. Uh, all, and, all American, you know, top NFL draft pick. First couple yeah, round yeah, draft picks. Yeah, 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 this guy's yeah. going in the third yeah. round latest. <laughs> okay, so so I, as an ultra fan, I think most people wouldn't make a move on that. But on that alone, it was over. Mm-hmm. I, I, I said, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Not against Ohio State. And, you know, part of me was, was crazed about, like, what it would look like as right. the ultra fans right. pulling out. You know, and, and, and is this a lack of faith and, you know, or is Fitz going to get mad at me? Not like he really cares, but like, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, uh yeah. So, so, well, so it's a that good, it's uh, a good, it's a good segue, right? Because let's, I want to talk about your Twitter feed. I've actually talked about your Twitter feed in classes at Northwestern before, right? Just back in the day where people just underestimated the ability to kind of cultivate community. And so you've already talked about it. I mean, many in the sports gambling content game are, are obviously social media adept. It becomes part of the influencer personality package, right? Um, how mm-hmm. people are communicating. And, and you you were ahead of the curve by a long shot on all of, on this entire game. I, 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 was, I was probably one of the first 10 journalists on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, you've been there from the get-go. And, and, and your feed is, uh, I don't know how to say it, it, it's you. Hodgepodge. Right? It's, ho- it's Hodgepodge. Yeah, it's, it's, so that's yeah. my point, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I feel like a lot of other – I kind of want to go big picture here. You're a sports collectible nut. You pro, you post all sorts of memorabilia collectibles, which now is kind of merging into, to your point earlier, into the, um, into the betting realm. But, you know, I just saw yesterday you posted Elon Musk's business card going for $2,000 on eBay, right? So how do you view your Twitter feed and balance the authenticity of kind of who you are with kind of the direct head-on influence that can have with the Action Network? So every day is completely nuts. Every day is and, – and, and I did – I am an embodiment of just – what happens on my Twitter feed is an embodiment of me. My brain is wired in a way that – if I wasn't doing this, I would be in a mental institution. And I've accepted that, right? I've accepted that, right? So that gives me the advantage that I'm all over the place and going crazy. And it's also the negative side because when my brain is quiet, I'm also going nuts. Right. Okay. Right. So, so, so the idea is to get people to care. My whole career is about getting people to care about what I love. I mean, it sounds really mm-hmm. stupid, but it, it enables me to do things that I love and I'm expert in things that I love. So it's a mix of like at 10 o'clock today, I knew that Rob, Rob Gronkowski was going to announce that he's selling his own NFTs, his digital art. Mm-hmm. Got to hit that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm watching the, while I'm talking to you, I'm watching the DraftKings investor presentation. Got a file on that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, and it's just all over the place. And I know I have dates of when auctions are going, when these things are going, but it's just a, you know, I, I, and I think that the reason why I'm a business reporter with 2 million followers is because I think I've gotten people to like what I like. I'm no. a foodie. I'm a, I, and yep. I, and I go, and a lot of it's about the involvement. I'm not like a foodie from a watching perspective. I'm a damn foodie and I go deep. Mm-hmm. And going deep and caring about it, I think a lot of people – and then people over time have become like mini-me's. Yeah. And so they send me stuff. I can't possibly cover this world. Right. But I've gotten good at giving people credit. So I'm just a conduit. And then you send me stuff that we all like together and we all win. Yeah, we all win. Uh, my, my thing gets tweeted by Ravel. It, it, it's right. great. It's good for ego. It's good for followers, et cetera. So I got to go there though because – 
I, I know you well enough and you are who you are. You're the same way yep. as when I hit record and I hit stop, you're going to be the same way. But I got to ask, right? You're pretty high profile. Like you get in sparring matches with El Presidente and Barstool guys. You get trolled on and create as many inflammatory responses of anyone that I know. So I, I want to know how much of it is truly you just being you and let the chips fall where they are oh, or how much of it is, oh my God, I, you know, you're doing it for the response. Do you ever do it for the response? Uh, I, I sometimes tweet like stupid headlines or things at the end of games or things like that for a response. Um, you know, I, I will tweet like dumb things that people go completely crazy, but engage for the most part. Uh, when I'm going back and forth with someone, it's completely authentic. I'll never forget a conversation I had when I was at ESPN. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, one of the executives said, um, do you think you could do a debate show every day? And I said, no. And he said, why? I said, well, I'm not, I'm not passionate about it. I can't make up my passion. Mm. Mm. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's true. You go deep on a hodgepodge of topics, but you're authentically, you're knowledgeable on them and you go freaking deep. And on those topics, you're like, come on, bring it, right? I mean, you'll, you'll take on anybody on any of those topics. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and I'm fine. And I, and I have a, I've built up a very hard head. Yeah, um, you have to, I, right? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm in Twitter for all of it. And, you know, the thing is that what, that I've noticed, so you're either someone or you're no one in this world. It's a, it's a polar extreme. It's, it's, it's total it's binary. You're saying it's binary. It's one of the yes. other. There's no in between. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And, 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 you know, I'd rather be someone. And if that comes at a cost, I'm okay. I don't want to be the equivalent of a prompter reader. On, on, on a local news broadcast. Mm -hmm. I want people to love me and hate me. And if I would say 35 to 40% of people who follow my Twitter feed hate me. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's important. I mean, at that point, I think a lot of people are sensitive out there, right? To offending or, right? And to your point, I think part of what makes engagement is actually having an opinion. It doesn't have to be inflammatory. It's just being passionate, right? And yes. let the chips fall with it, you know, knowing that that's going to come with criticism. I think I'll especially younger people have a really hard time with the taking of the criticism part. Now, the interesting thing about all building my brand is that I don't sell myself pretty much at all on Twitter. I will not, I capitalize by the ROI of me having 2 million followers mm -hmm. and me being relevant. I capitalize in indirect ways. Mm -hmm. And that's been a very important part of my authenticity too. Right. Uh, on Instagram though, I will sell myself with the just but it has to be something that i can create great content with and i believe in mm -hmm. and that's kind of that's the difference between twitter and instagram and i actually think you know instagram for uh selling things is much better than twitter yeah and they're they're starting to and talking with them directly that's that's where their emphasis is in 2021 is really the e-commerce yeah. right so all right, we've got a couple of minutes left I, i'm um i do Take that, um, I want to go back to the beginning because it sounds like, I'm, I'm connecting some breadcrumbs here. It sounds like the Action Network um, and Chad and the team there, they give you a lot of latitude to experiment, right? So yep. between your Twitter account and just ideation, right, Fade Ravel. So how, how do you guys measure success? Like in terms of the things that you're doing from content creation, you, Darren Ravel, as it relates to the Action Network, like behind the scenes, what do you look at and say, what what in your mind says this is working versus is not working? 
I have never been in an organization that shares numbers with its content creators as well as the Action Network does. Hmm. We are sharing numbers and data uh, every single week. Uh, and we're comparing it to last year, to two years ago, to whatever. And just doing that fires us up. Um, Give me an so, example of like some data that that fueled an idea that you had that turned out to be no. It, so 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 a lot of it is so we have my ace in the hole. One of my aces in the hole is a guy named Evan Abrams, who is not only an incredible stat guy and incredible better, but he's a producer. He also uh, heads up social media, and so he gives these. Chad makes makes our guys give these in depth stat reports mm -hmm. that that show what is working and what is not, mm -hmm. what tweets work and what doesn't, what engages and what doesn't. What are the top five things that engage? Mm -hmm. What was a project we spent time on that did not engage? Mm -hmm. And we use that to affect our future. And, you know, it's just been amazing being in this business for 20 years and seeing how things have changed from a stat standpoint. You know, when I was at ESPN in 2000, I used to spend half my time writing articles and half my time arguing with editors to put my article on the front page. Put it on the front page. People care about this. What are you what are you talking about? You He's like, yeah, but but Bill Simmons does better. I'm like, Bill Simmons is always on the front page. That's a spurious. You, you you can't do that. Like a cat will click on the front page, put my shiz on the front page. Right. So that's how it started. And then three years later, it was, we asked, we, we had ESPN had most, you could email an article starting in 2002. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, half my stuff is the most emailed stuff. And I was talking about that. Mm -hmm. Then by 2005, we started to, uh, you know, I was arguing about once you put me on the front page, mm -hmm. right? Why are you cycling it out? It's mm -hmm. a good story and people are clicking. By the time I come back to ESPN in 2012, they now have heat maps. Mm. So then it gets right. And now we're, we're, we're talking about, oh, that story's still hot. It's not going to get cycled out by virtue of it being pushed down because it's it was filed earlier. It's going to get keep going if it has a red versus a green or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and and now it's custom report, you know, and right. some of it's going to a startup, but then it's custom reports of yep. what's working and what's not and openly sharing it with editorial. Mm -hmm. That's that's a great thing for me. Awesome. Uh, final couple questions for you here. How do you, you meant, how do you stay on top of things, Darren, in the industry and in your in your various places? How do you do it? Are there's who's who's in who do you let in your email inbox? Your social follow musts? Who are your musts? Uh, listen, it's a it's a challenge every day. Uh, I I can't give you like the one person I follow. I follow the entire business, um, you know, and in aggregate, that's what's important. I need to make sure that I'm not missing anything. Uh, every day, that's the hardest part of my day. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my goal is to be as relevant as I can in the topics that I have credibility in mm -hmm. every single day. And, and that is, that is a battle, which is the funny thing is the reason I got on Twitter so early wasn't because I wanted to disseminate information and I thought it was the next big thing. The only thing I was sure of was I could learn information faster there than anywhere else. That's insightful. And, and that's what, right, I would remember blog lines yeah. where uh, I, I am in a position where I have to tell the secondary story. I have to tell the business of. Mm -hmm. And if I don't understand what the first story is 
then I can't tell that second story. And the speed that I get to that first story allows me to tell the second story faster and better because I have more time than my competition. So I am, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 21 years in this business every day. Uh, I, I want to eat my competition. I come out fired up and angry and as if someone's going to steal my job. And I, and, and every day I leave it out on the floor. Well, I, I got to say, Darren, um, as we, as we kind of put a bow on this for the listeners out there, you're a guy who could go for hours on any one of these topics. I recently listened to Darren on episode 335 of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast hosted by Jim, Jimmy Traina. Google that episode and feast on it. It's on the boom of sports collectibles business. And even if you're not a collector, you'll find it fascinating because Darren, not only does he actually report on these different areas of subject matter interest, he actually is a collector. And fascinating stories of, of how this, the world's changed during the, during COVID and I highly, highly recommend. I, I was laughing listening to that of you like talking about your different, you know, the checks that you had and you have, you, you collect uh, real quick before we go explain your, explain the concept of your check collection. Cause I think it's just a great example of niche, uh, passion and content. That's just fascinating. So, uh, you know, a lot of my collection is based on arbitrage. Um, it's based on people not paying attention to things that, you know, that, that deserve attention. Um, so I have a check collection, a ticket collection, a black history collection, any, uh, a video, a graded video game collection, a sealed music collection, things that I think people haven't paid attention to. And I've, in all this, I've gotten rid of almost all my cards, by the way. Mm. Um, so, uh, so, uh, it, it was in Chicago, uh, the national sports convention a couple years ago and a guy hands me, uh, a stack of 50 Bart Giamatti checks, the former commissioner of baseball. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and I say, uh, how much are these? And he says, they're, they're 70 apiece. And I think to myself, well, why would they be 70 apiece? One could be a, a payment for the Pete Rose investigation yep. and, an, and another could be a Hertz rent a car. Mm -hmm. So there's no regard for story. And I quickly learned that the reason why people collect checks is because they feel better about the authenticity of the signature. It has nothing to do with the story. Mm. So I said to myself, if I could collect checks with stories and I'm a storyteller, I could not only create value, but, but it goes back to my this. collection is my this. collection is a reflection of Darren Ravel, right? Yep. He's that guy. Yep. And so, so I actually gain brand value from, Ravel has a check collection. Well, of course, Ravel has a check collection, right? Like, it's so predictable, right? But it's predictable because I know my brand, right? So, like, I had to create a check collection so people could say, of course, Ravel has a check collection, right? Right? So you understand that. It's, it's almost like I'm kind of like a caricature of myself exactly. in exactly. a way, right? I got... I know what the expectations of me are as a person, so I will now create that. Anyway, so that's what I, I love create, about you. That's the part I, I love create, about you. People don't know that about you, and that's the part that I that I love. So yeah, I I, I can see myself from a blimp macro <laughs> view, right? Like, even though I am my person, anyway, and authentic. Uh, so I created the greatest check collection of all time of stories. So people started to know that I was looking for these, and I have. Some I'll just give you a quick one yeah. where just mind blowing stuff. Yeah, I ha I have so there there's there's been about twelve JFK 
checks that have emerged, and I have the only one that is has some sort of story. It's JFK subscribing to the Washington Post four months before he became president for eleven dollars and seventy cents. Mm. Um, I have Joe Montana paying for his sophomore year apartment at Notre Dame. Uh, he, he was married at the time, um, uh, believe it or not. Uh, so his his wife Kim C is on there. Uh, Larry David, then, the Larry David one. Uh, okay, so Larry David one is I have I have evidence of Larry David perpetrating a federal crime. Uh, essentially, Jay Leno uh, wrote a check to Larry Charles, who was his friend and uh, was a writer for Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. uh, but in 1978, Jay Leno was a second-year comic, and he was paying $10, and the memo said it was for comedy material. So Jay, he, he, Larry Charles was one of the writers. Well, everyone knows that Larry David and Larry Charles were friends. They were starving writers together. Mm -hmm. So when you, t when you turn the check on the back, it is signed by Larry David. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't endorse a check that's not for you. So I... I, I was like, oh my god, this is like a curb episode. Total curb la, episode. La, 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 Larry's like, my name's Larry. Your name's Larry. I go to the bank. <laughs> you don't even know the, the bank. You think the teller knows our last name? Well, they don't know our last name. I go to the bank. You know, and then and then and then JB Smoove gets in there and he go and he's like, yeah, Larry, I've done that. And then Jeff Carlin's like, what are you talking about? You can't just go to you the can't bank, do that. Larry. That's a, you're a federal crime. You know, no one's gonna do you. You you'll get caught, Larry. You know, so so. So, you know, that's that's an amazing one. Uh, and uh, I also I mean, I can go forever. But like one of my other favorite ones is uh, Al Capone's right hand man. Uh, he was a guy named Charles Solomon. He controlled gambling and prohibition in Boston in the 20s. And uh, I have a check of him taking out the equivalent of two hundred twenty five thousand dollars the day before the stock market crashed in 1929. So wow. essentially there was no FDIC, so there was a run on banks, and banks literally closed because they had no money. This guy, this guy walks in a, a day before and and basically, you know, cashes out his account. Wow. It's like, what do they know? Exactly. It's, you know, I, my last one I'll tell you is I have I have uh, so I wanted to get a Babe Ruth check, and uh, I had a guy who who knew how to source a lot of them, and and he goes, well, what do you want? And I go. Well, I want Babe Ruth. I want him to either be paying for a prostitute, drinking too much, or eating too much. Those are the three conditions. Um, and he got and he got me a check of of Babe Ruth uh, buying the equivalent of fourteen thousand dollars in liquor. Holy uh, shit! For, yeah, yeah. And and the funny thing is, you know, and then I can tell these stories like Babe Ruth supposedly used to drink after every game mm -hmm. a, a full bottle of vodka mm -hmm. and he did it with his roommate Wally Pip which is funny because Wally Pip gets nailed for being the guy who had a headache and then got replaced by Lou Gehrig right. Wally, Wally Pip was actually on time all the time and, and was able to keep up with Babe Ruth drinking every day <laughs> and I gotta ask you because I, I, we'll finish here but you, you said it when you went to that sports convention they were all $70 and your thought was storytelling creates value so what are some of the value? Like you just told a pick one of the, like, what's the value of some of these checks you just mentioned? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think, um, like what's the Babe Ruth one you just talked about or, you know, what do, what do you think that's worth? Is it, it's about 15 to 20,000. And what did you, yeah. pay, what did you pay for it? Five. Okay. So there, so, there you go. Okay. Yeah. So the value of Michael, yeah. I mean, yeah. You've sure. created I've, value through. I've created value. Yeah. I've created story value. Telling. Yeah, and there's actually some items that I haven't told the world I have, um, which are in storage and locked up that are 
I have I have two pieces that are worth more than a million dollars each. What? Um, yes. You're um, gonna reveal that on the Action Network as a content content episode. You need to. Do you want me to? I'll I'll reveal one for you if you want. Yes, um, absolutely. So I believe it's worth more than a million dollars. Um, uh, I bought it for eight thousand um, oh, dollars. It it is uh, the largest authenticated Warren Buffett signature in the world. It is uh, one and a half feet on a bed of uncut, uncirculated dollar bills. Wow. Um, uh, I you know when. Where'd when you Warren get it? Buff- I got it at an auction. I, it was at a sports auction. It was just in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know when I'm going to sell it because I'm not. Uh, it, it, it's not based on Warren Buffett dying. I, w- mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, if you think about how many hedge fund managers are out there who mm-hmm. every day they yeah. compare the size of their phalluses. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I would, I would say that, uh, there's a lot of guys who want to say, you see that that's the largest Warren Buffett signature in the world, you know, right. Exactly like, uh, Ben Stiller's character uh, on, uh, God. uh, on, uh, dodgeball where he actually has the bulls yeah. by the horn. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I think that's one of the pieces. And then I have another piece, which I haven't said what I have. Uh, I've only seen it once in person because it is locked away and uh and insured and in a building with security guards um that that i that i bought and um it's it's i think about it every day how crazy it is yeah let's do the al capone's vault there but there's actually something in the vault and you reveal it on the action network to get a million views (laughs) darren Ravel, action network follow him at darren Ravel on twitter darren thanks so much for joining us you got it thanks jay Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.